0: Welcome to SelfDiscoveryRadio.com, where the orchard of wisdom is just ready for picking. We celebrate your why, the journey that you've taken that inspires someone else. We support your services. We support your story. Come and be our guest. Become a host. Be an author with us. Come see what we've got. Our next show is... Welcome to Holistic Transformations. I'm your host, Diane J. Shaver. And by working together, we can change the world. We're brought to you by Turn Your Great Idea Into Dollars, a seven-week online course with 40-plus page workbook taking you each step of the way from concept to up and running business based on your personal business model that fits for you. On each of the Holistic Transformation Show, I interview someone who's really out there doing something that's making a change in the world, that has impact on the world and their actions are based on a really deep belief of doing good for the many, and hopefully they will inspire you to do whatever it is you wanna do to help. So today's guest is definitely a great demonstration of that statement. The first thing you see on the RLS website, which stands for Renewable Sustainable Living, is a statement which sets a tone for his business, and here it is. Imagine for a moment, a community with homes and businesses powered by the sun, sustained by organic gardens, and founded on recycling principles. With everything that's going on, climate change, all the things that are impacting everybody right now, we need this. And the man behind all of this is Mark Clayton, who builds what he calls net zero farm housing communities. And I'm gonna let him explain what those are, because he can do it far better than I can. But I wanna share some of his background Um, with you so you can see kind of the stepping stones to get where he is today so he's owned several companies one of them is alfred tiger inc it was an engineering manufacturing development company and they supplied the automotive manufacturers with electroplating services and electronic ceramic components and they developed two u.s patents which are still current Then he and his wife created restaurants that served, one of the first um, that served organic, all organic food, um, his wife Carol, and they had several locations in Greenville, South Carolina. So that was another chapter in his life. Then um, Alfred Tiger Engineering was developed, and it develops, demonstrates, and deploys cutting-edge renewable energy products and systems, including electric and clean fuel transportation. And now he is the founder and managing partner of Renewable Sustaining Living. So when I asked Mark to send me a bio, this is what he sent me, and this will give you a look into um, the heart, the imagination, the energy of the man behind all of this. So this is what he sent me as his bio. I am son, brother, cousin, nephew, uncle, husband, dad, father-in-law, friend, and now Papa Mark. He's a grandpa. Student, athlete, Eagle Scout, dedicated employee, church leader, engineer, inventor, entrepreneur, restauranter, developer, street preacher, student, follower, servant, and leader. But I'm going to let him tell you what he's involved in right now and the road he took to get there. So please welcome Mark Clayton. Welcome, Mark. And we want to know what your focus is now and how did you arrive at
1: it? And I had closed our last restaurant and I was in search of the next thing that I was going to spend my time doing. Uh, God gave me the vision to develop food, energy and housing from a renewable, sustainable perspective. And because I've owned a lot of businesses in my career, uh, I've written a lot of business plans. And so I set out to basically put pen to paper, because I'm old school. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> what that like. Well, what we have developed over the course of the last seven years are three distinct business models. And the first of those is the net-zero farm community concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the 0 farm community, we build and sell passive and active solar homes. Uh, so the client owns the home and owns the lot that it sits on. Go okay. In the community, we're putting in a production organic farm. Uh, we're going to be building three acres of outdoor raised bed gardens that are USDA certified organic. Mm. And with that, we're building a 4,000 square foot hydroponics unit. So that we can have year-round growing um, of a Mm -hmm. lot of of the items that you can only grow in a controlled environment, and somewhere near the community, we will build a farm market that features local farmers and their produce. Um, Mm -hmm. And the intent of the farmers' market is to highlight local and keeping the carbon footprint truly low. So. The community, the way it will work, is that the clients who buy the homes, and by the way, our first community is going up in Greer, South Carolina. Uh, We're gonna be building 16 homes on 12 acres in that community. Um, Mm. And we've got 15 of the 16 already pre-sold. Congrats, great. and and, and, (laughs) The concept has been wonderful um when we started this whole process we knew that it was a niche market but our bet was the niche was way bigger than most people realize right and it's been, been to be so um so these 16 homes in exchange for them providing assistance with our work in our farm in the community they'll not only get their veggies free but the joint partnership between my company, RSL, and the HOA will pay their utility bills. So, hmm. the folks in our community will have no utility bills. Cool. And we do a wonderful thing. And as part of the process, we, we're, we're basically going to be pre-selling most everything that we grow in the community, to restaurants and chefs and probably have some community sustained agriculture groups that basically will pay a monthly fee and come get their veggies. uh, So is there
0: gonna be enough for everybody, for the homeowners in all the restaurants and all these, it's just a lot of
1: veggies that you're talking about here. Well, that's a very good question, Diane. Um, The whole uh, model for the farm is based on a good friend of mine who has a demonstration garden at Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah. Bruce has a quarter acre outdoor raised bed garden that is USDA certified organic, uh, meaning that it's built with mulch and compost and good soil. Uh, no chemicals, no any bad stuff going into the soil. Good. And Bruce's quarter acre grosses $75,000 a year and, and how,
0: through, is, how is he getting this is he selling to restaurants or and what is he doing with it
1: he is selling to, through local farmers markets okay. he is selling to restaurants and we have a wonderful uh biking trail in greenville called the swamp rabbit trail and smack dab in the middle of the trail is a wonderful little cafe called the swamp rabbit cafe that only sells organic produce and good wholesome food for us to consume.
2: Sure.
1: Um, so it's through those folks that Bruce grosses this $75,000. Okay. So if you book it up to an acre, that's $300,000 an acre. And our rationale is is that by having three acres of outdoor raised bed gardens, at worst, we'll, we'll grow north of $500,000 a year, which is more than enough for us to pay our salaries, uh, to pay all the folks who will be uh, assisting us with the farm and to pay the utility bills for the folks living in the community. So there's gonna be more than enough food to go around.
0: Tell me, um, one thing I'm curious about, how are there other ways that the community interacts? Is there another part of a model for this or um, is it just through the gardening that they interact? Is there some kind of an intentional community in some way
1: there is um the this property that we're developing in greer is a beautiful it, it was basically truly a diamond in the rough that, that had gotten overlooked for many years Right, it's actually like living in a park um because we only cleared enough space to build the houses so that we would have no shade on our solar panels but In the middle of the community, we've got basically over 3,000 feet of creek front that runs through the property where we're going to develop walking trails. We'll have bridges over the the creeks to connect the whole community. Um, And it'll be an inviting place for the city of Greer around us to come and check out.
0: Cool. So is that going to be part of the model? In other words, why don't you explain to us uh, and our listeners um, and viewers what what the whole model is, like the scope of it? So how would you explain this? Like you're going to set up another one and you were going to talk to somebody about it. What would you say about it?
1: Well, we we intend to perfect this first uh, ever model in Greer. And then our next, Target is Charleston, South Carolina, um, and which we the the beauty of this model that we've developed is that by uh, by impacting food and energy and housing from a renewable, sustainable perspective, yeah. that one's been on average sixty plus percent of the average family's budget. So if you can dramatically lower a family's budget, then not only, you know, Im- impact their checkbook, but you also impact their, their lifestyle. You and impact their business, really. Exactly. And you, 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 you give them good food. The more we learn about how bad GMOs and chemicals are that yeah. throughout the food that we consume, uh, how bad it is for our bodies, we're, we're, we're actually improving their health. We're improving their wealth uh we're improving the the contribution to climate change yeah Uh, it is real unfortunately yes uh, i'm an engineer and i'm data driven and the data does not lie um so these are the ways that we're going to impact you know food energy and housing and by duplicating this net zero farm community model in many places We're basically taking baby steps, but we're taking positive steps to improve people's lives.
0: I love that. So what's the grand vision? Is there another part of this that you're going to grow into? Is this going to kind of be complete in itself, and then you'll be on to something else that will be great? Or what do you see this becoming?
2: okay there you are yeah okay yeah Yeah. okay i've been here you left i've been here
0: (laughs) okay zoom zoom may have done its thing um Because I can't hear, I see you, but I can't hear you right now. So we'll wait a second and see what happens with
2: Zoom. Okay. Can you hear me, Mark?
0: Because I've lost the audio with you and your video is no longer moving. You are a still right now.
2: Whoops, I lost you completely.
0: Waiting for Mark. I don't know where
2: he went. Let's see if I can get him here. <clears throat>
0: Hey, hey yeah, what happened?
2: Um, I'm having I'm okay, I'm trying to restart. Okay, as I s- yeah,
0: it's edited, so we're okay.
1: Wi Fi connection to my cell tower. Okay. Um, I've had to reset it
0: several times. Pain in the rear. (laughs) It's got to be, I'm sure. Yeah, it's. And it's not like
1: they've they've installed like five new towers up our way. Um, I don't really understand.
2: But anyway. Anyway. I'm coming back home. Cool. So far. I'm sorry yeah yeah we're good so far
0: and then it will get edited I'll explain um, to Sarah who, who does all of that um, what's happened and so she can cut out that section yeah. so fortunately it's not live so we're good Sarah, the, while you're editing, um, Mark had um, some problems with. Um, he's in the mountains, and so he had problems um, with reception. So he's trying to get it back, and we apologize. But mountains are stronger than anything, so it is what it is. So we're we're. Um, that's why you see just me sitting here drinking water, whatever I'm doing. So we're waiting for the mountains to um, be kind
2: again. (laughs)
0: Okay, so Mark, what we were talking about before the mountains rudely interrupted us and and stopped reception the concept right now for zero net uh, farming community is really solid and wonderful. And what I wonder is, is, do you have more that it's going to become, or is this going to stay pretty much the way it is with each individual place being slightly different and then kind of taking it to another level or leaving it be?
1: Well, that's a good question, Diane. We, um, as I mentioned earlier, we've got, Three distinct business models. Um, the first one is the net zero farm community, housing community. Uh, okay. The next one is a manufacturing of mobile tiny homes that are also off the grid. Um, okay,
0: that we, you did not tell us about. Wait a minute, go back to that. <laughs> what? What? Tell us about that. You knew it, <laughs> we didn't know
1: it. <laughs> well, the Again, there there are three distinct business models, Net Zero Farm Communities, Net Zero Mobile uh Tiny Homes, okay. and then Net Zero Experiential Center. Now, let me back up and explain what Net Zero Mobile is. Yeah. Uh 2016 we built a an off-the-grid mobile tiny home on a twenty-seven foot trailer uh, that turned out fabulously. Huh. And As you well know, in California, real estate prices are crazy, and we've got a number of friends and contacts out there. Uh, There are people that work in Silicon Valley who have six- and seven-figure incomes who cannot afford to buy a house. And so the way the tiny home movement works – Uh-oh, I lost you again. Okay, yeah. Um, We're losing
0: you again, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. I can hear you. Yeah,
0: and and you're kind of frozen. I can hear you. You're kind of frozen. But well, let's. I mean, if that's how it's going to be, it's we have your beautiful face there, and okay. we'll just listen to you. And when you get back to
1: it, it'll move again. Okay. Well, let's, let's keep talking about the net zero farm community. Uh, the mobile tiny homes. Yeah. We see that you know we're oh, going to set up a uh, facility somewhere in the middle of the country. Preferably Wichita, Kansas, uh, because I have a granddaughter who lives there. Um, Uh And it's smack dab in the middle of the country. And we're going to manufacture mobile tiny homes there. And then we're going to target Californians and the Southwest to basically let them come in once we build the structure and custom design the interior. And then we'll either haul it back to California for them or they can pick it up right. and drive it themselves. Um, and what we're going to do in California is, I've got friends out there who are looking for property to develop RV parks, if you would. Because oh. the way well, tiny home movement works is is that it's treated as an RV park because you can pick it up and take it You know, if you sure. decide to move it. Sure. Um, and so this is a way to basically provide a lot, a poor cost alternative to housing. Do you have a
0: range, a price range right now yet uh, for what they will be?
1: On the East Coast, the one that we built in 2016 basically had 300 square feet inside. Uh, It was built to standard residential code, so we had like nine foot ceilings in it, Um, and had a full size bathroom, full size kitchen, uh, and loft and small den area. And those would sell for right at $75,000. Right now, the only manufacturer of these things is uh, Clayton Homes, which is a division of Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, Warren Buffett owns that. Um, And they've got a production facility in Alabama that just cannot keep up. They've actually got a two-year backlog in building these things. So the opportunity is tremendous. So what we want to do is we want to jump into that game after we get the net zero farm community model up and running. Sure. Um, so that's somewhere in the mid range, like the next two to five years okay. that we'll on that. Um, and then our third business model is actually, we call it net zero experiential center, uh, which is an off the grid hotel convention center. Okay. That on the ground, we'll have demonstration passive and active solar homes. We'll have, we'll have an actual electric vehicle dealership on site so that we can promote EVs. Sure. And in the hotel complex, through the week, we'll hold yeah. weekly seminars that are dedicated to renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, and recycling principles. And then on the weekends, because we'll have some wonderful, cool tree houses and zip lines that run through the treetops, uh, we'll throw it open as a weekend getaway for the local area. Cool. So it's going to be a really cool thing. And that's, that's something that we've got three primary targets. We've actually got a target here in Greenville. And we've got one in Charleston, and then we've got one in San Jose, California.
0: Wow! And when is that? What's what's the time frame for that one?
1: That one is probably in the next three to seven years. Um, we we see the, the development of the progression happening with getting at least two or three net zero farm communities first. Okay. Um, and then. Develop the manufacturing uh, along the way for the mobile tiny homes. And then at some point in, in time, as we get business model two, the mobile tiny homes up and running, then we'll turn our attention to the experiential center.
0: Wow. So people are going to want to know, how do you come up with these things? What, what is it that led you to the first thing? And, and what was the progression? What was the thought? And then the next thought, and then all of a sudden there was net zero farming community.
1: Well, I have to go back um, 37 years now. Okay. When I graduated from Clemson University, go Tigers, national championship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, The it was 1982, and Ronald Reagan had only been president for two years, and the economy was not fully recovered yet, and so I went to work for a company locally here in Greenville that built passive solar homes, and that's when I was first introduced to the concept. Um, After that, I went to work uh, as an engineer lived in the Midwest, lived in Chicago, and eventually found my way back to South Carolina. And I've always been fascinated with, the, with solar energy. Um, and so I've always stayed abreast of the latest, greatest technology and developments. Um, as a matter of fact, I have two sons that are also Clemson alumni. And while they were in school, I actually taught a senior-level course at Clemson, for solar energy, and so. But along the way, my wife and I got sidetracked into the restaurant business.
0: That and is a sidetrack for sure, <laughs> and a time-consuming sidetrack. It is. Side-track.
1: <laughs> it is. Um, my wife is also an engineer, and we used to tell everybody that that came into our restaurants that we're living proof God's got a sense of humor, two engineers in the restaurant business. (laughs) So so we we wound up doing a 12-year run in the restaurant business um, and developed a lot of good friends and a lot of good memories, uh, but very thankful to be out of the restaurant business now because it's a tough business.
0: It is a very tough 24-7
1: business. Oh, it is. And so that's kind of where our food component was developed. Um, and Did
0: you it, have organic food then, or was that something that came later?
1: It, it actually, or this, this is another driver, because the supply of organic food does not even come close to meeting the demand. Yeah. So it's what makes the Whole Foods business model so successful is because, you know, there, there's just the demand is greater than the supply. So our way of addressing the supply component is to build in our own organic farms within each community so that bit by bit, we're doing our part.
0: Right. But in your restaurant, did you, were you aware of organic food then? Did you use it in your restaurant? People weren't as aware back then.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and the restaurant was called Manna Deli. And in the Bible, manna fell from heaven every day. And the only time that you could hold it over was over the weekends, basically, and because otherwise it would spoil. So the essence and the name had very much meaning because my wife founded the restaurant was fresh every day. So we served fresh made food every day. We sought out the best local fresh ingredients for everything that she made um and so we were on the beginning edge of the, and whenever we could get organic yes we served organic wow. um so we we developed a lot of good contacts with local farmers uh so that we were able to go out and, and garner the supply that we needed for our restaurants so yes we were on the kind of beginning curve of that
0: that's cool and i'm thinking how in some ways people are going to be thinking this so and that's why i'm doing this show but it's like that's a small piece of, of what needs to happen in this planet. But how are you impacting other people and inspiring other people so that they go off and do their part to create something that's sustainable, organic, renewable, whatever? So how, how does that
2: work?
1: Well, um, <laughs> I, I've got to say this to preface okay. your answer. Um, over the last seven years, uh, I've had tons of people tell me, Mark, listening to you talk about all this stuff is like drinking water from a fire hose.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> Love it. in massive quantities, and it's like people get that starry-eyed look and say, wow, you've got so many moving parts to this. But you come back to the central point of addressing food, energy, and housing from a renewable, sustainable perspective yeah So as we've marched along this path um and been able to develop multiple pieces of the business plan we have encountered a basically a global audience uh i'm very big on linkedin uh i've got right at 1200 uh network partners in my linkedin network good I'm very intentional with it um I I don't treat it as Facebook. Um I, I treat it as a business tool. Uh and so I've got experts in every area of what I'm dealing with around the world. So what I'm doing is I'm building up a a basically a roster, you would, of people who come and speak at the experiential center when we finally get it built. Um so We've been able to impact because as more and more people have heard about the net zero farm housing community, it's opened up avenues to talk about the other business models and to basically give people a basic understanding of okay, you know, we got a lot of moving parts, we got a lot of stuff going on, yeah. but we have to start somewhere. And where we started, really, as far as the process was 2016 when we built the mobile tiny home, because the materials that we use to build it with, we're building the homes in the net zero farm community with the same materials. So we got our experience base with that part. Mm. And so we're, we're very close to beginning building the 16 homes in this community. Mm. So, you know, we've, we've encountered a lot of people who are just totally sold out to living in a community where there's organic food being produced. Uh, we're totally sold out on, people are totally sold out on the fact that we use renewable energy, that we're not dependent on the grid. Uh, right. But we are connected to natural gas and water and sewer in our community and to satisfy bank underwrite we are uh connecting to the electrical grid as backup only um and so through our work on the renewable energy side of the equation i've got seven different business units under our holding company umbrella and the, the the fourth unit is our rsl energy and construction and that unit owns and maintains all the energy equipment within the net zero farm community. Uh, that's on us. So that's part of the package that we offer. And so as a result of that, I'm currently, and you'll be the first to hear about this. Okay. Um, we're currently through RSL Energy and Construction working on with partners in Sierra Leone to develop microgrids over the entire continent of Africa.
0: Well, we talked about that when I had the opportunity to sit with you so that, that we were talking about cell phones. I need some place to plug in their cell phone and that's
2: it.
1: Exactly. Well, since, since I last saw you, Diane,
2: yeah.
1: um, the opportunity has got even bigger. Um, the Our partners in Sierra Leone uh, would like very much for us to um, Take a look at some other projects. Um, we, we, of course, see the opportunity and the demand and the need. The need, more than anything, uh, is for microgrid because Nigeria, for example, 55% of the country does not have consistent electricity, even though economically, Nigeria is the 21st largest economy in the world. Uh, because of their vast natural resources, yeah, sure. um, but over half of their people don't have a consistent electricity. So you know we're we're looking at it from our viewpoint as a way to help. And once if we do that well, then it'll also introduce net zero farm communities because you can do it anywhere on the planet. Um, and we the beauty of the net zero farm community model is that it scales. We have a, an affordable housing component that we're developing as well, based off of the net zero farm community. So we can help the working poor, uh, the veterans, uh, public servants, people who are at the bottom of the rung economically. Right. Uh, because the best pathway that most Americans uh, have Wealth is their home ownership. That's mm-hmm. that's everybody's piggy bank, um, and so we want to. That's where you know our model impacts a whole nother segment is to be able to help people develop wealth through home ownership. Right,
0: um, and, and I, one of the when we're yeah. through um, at some point, I have um, somebody who ha- is. Creating product that will be usable for you in building. So we will talk about that, and and that's in India.
1: So oh yeah, good it just yeah. I have a number going. of Indian contacts um, in in my LinkedIn network, and a number of friends here in Greenville are from India. Cool. Um, yeah, and that, that that's a good point, Diane, because um, you know I'm I'm an engineer, and Pre-entrepreneur, uh, I did a lot of work with the automotive industry. Uh, I have two patents related to automotive products. Um, and so when I would travel to meet with the automotive manufacturers, I'd always sit down with the design guy first. Right. And I'd ask him the question, have you ever worked on a car before? And of course <laughs> they like I was crazy. What kind of question is that? It's and, a perfect uh, question. I'd always respond, well, if you'd ever worked on a car, you would design it totally differently because right. they don't design them to be able to work we on them.
0: Get at things, yeah, they're hidden underneath something else.
1: That's a, that's the truth, and and so you wind up having to take half the car apart just to get to a yeah. uh, minor part, and yeah. so my concept with designing the passive solar homes and even designing the hydroponics facility is to be able to have an easy-to-build design. But more importantly, we, we continue to have an ever-increasing development of technology. Um, just over the horizon, there are solar panels that are gonna double and even triple in efficiency compared to where we are now. So I want, as we move along this, this timeline and this vision, I want us to be able to go back in and deploy the latest, greatest technology for whatever we are currently working on. Yeah. So the next community is in say Charleston and we get that done a year from now. And say in the next six months, the opportunity comes up to deploy even better solar panels. Then that's what we're going to do. Sure. Um, because we want to be a demonstration site by doing this, that makes the Net Zero Experiential Center even more relevant, because everybody who who is drawn to that, that seminar, that hotel, or that, you know, or people can just fly in from wherever and design their own home, and then we will help them find a builder who will build that home for them. And so, you know, by doing this, we actually are audacious enough to think of ourselves as the next Home Depot of renewable, sustainable living. I love that. Yeah, you know, basically a one-stop shop where you can do all things uh, related to renewable, sustainable, and even recycling.
0: One of the things I love about all your concepts, they build. It's a really geome- geometric progression. But each yes. thing builds on the next, on the next, on the next, and you get experience by doing the first project and that helps you do the second project, and the next, and the next, and the next. And it all feeds into this vision. And it, correct me if I'm wrong, the vision grows. The vision is not static.
1: Amen. Yeah, We haven't even talked about our nonprofit. Um,
2: well, let's which- do that.
1: Yeah, our nonprofit is our second business unit and was founded to do two things. It was founded to build affordable housing for the working poor, Um, but it also has a street ministry component, which is when I label myself as a street preacher, Uh, I have a group of folks that we lead a Tuesday night street friends ministry in downtown Greenville, South Carolina, where we go out and we build relationship with the homeless and out of that we've been able to transition over the course of the last three years about 25 people from the streets wow. back into a productive life and one of the things that we've developed and again this speaks directly to what you just said about yeah. you know experience leads to you know the experience base to do the next thing yeah. um as a result of our street ministry, we now know the do's and don'ts of how to really help people. Um, and you can only learn that by getting out there and doing it. Like anything um,
0: in life, that's how you learn, by really getting out and doing it, not reading about it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I had a good friend who's very, very successful. And the first question he asked a young person who wants him to be their mentor is like, you know, are you failing? And they had him like, am I failing? He said, Well, if you're not failing, you're not trying and you're not trying hard enough. And if not failing, you're not attempting a big enough thing to accomplish.
0: Absolutely. And And you're not an entrepreneur for one thing. And that's the first thing.
1: So (laughs) you cannot be afraid of failure. You just have to dive in sometimes and do it. So as a result of our street ministry, what has been birthed is what we call the transition center. Um, And I've done a lot of research on homelessness, uh, primarily in Portland, Oregon, and in Austin, Texas. Uh, They've got some really good programs for the homeless there. Um, But there's a magic number of two years. If you can come alongside someone and re-educate them, house them, feed them, hold their hands, mentor them, for a two-year period of time, the success rates start to get into the upper 80 percentile. So, it
0: just hit me when you said that. What you're doing is you're reparenting, and a lot of oh. people end up where they are because of trauma and unresolved yeah. childhood issues. I mean, it impacts all of us. We're all dealing with it for the rest of our lives. But that's what you do. You reparent them, like you you nurture them.
1: Amen. And that you you spot on. That's exactly right because the Bible says the issues of life spring forth from the heart, yeah. and so many people have wounded hearts. Yeah. And unless you start with the heart and repair that, then it, it's an uphill battle to do anything else.
0: Because you're not addressing the core issue, and that you're not. Yeah.
1: And as an engineer, I'm. Um, I, I kind of consider myself to be a, uh, a solutions provider. Um, you cannot provide solutions until you get at the root cause of the problem. Absolutely. Anything else is just a band-aid, Absolutely. and you're not going to heal it. And you're not going to fix it. Um, One of
0: the Things that strikes me about what you're doing, um, for a lot of people, the homeless are just uncomfortable. I think about um, when I'm walking down King Street and there are people sitting on the sidewalk saying, you know, I'm homeless and you know, and most people just, they won't talk to them. They pretend they're not there. It's like, it doesn't exist. And that to me is part of our culture of a closed heart. Those Those are not bad people that are walking by, but their hearts are not open.
1: Absolutely, and and again, we 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 address this head on every Tuesday night, um, and and what what we've been able to do successfully is that we don't go down and, and bump the Bible at them. We don't go down and condemn them. We we basically down and we build relationship. And over the course of time, we've gotten to know them. They've gotten to know us. Good. They trust us, and and I, I'll tell you a real good example two years ago. Um, we really didn't take names. we just knew everybody kind of by first name um, and if you know about street people, a lot of them have records, and you know the police or somebody's looking for them, and so they don't readily give out their names to the info well we had we, we heard on the local news that a homeless person had gotten killed and it so upset me that I didn't know who it was was it one of mine um you know who was it so the next Tuesday when we went out I told him I said you know we love you too much you know it it just drove me crazy you know because this happened on a Friday night and I had to wait till the next Tuesday yeah and it was one of mine that had gotten killed and so I told him I said now I'm not going to go through another weekend like that. So I want all of you to give us your name. And so I had one of the folks that you know routinely goes with me to take their names. Well, in a, in a, in a parallel world, there ain't no way they would be able. To, they would be knew their name.
2: They
1: all lined up. Every one of them gave us name. Gave us their last name. You know, told us a little bit about them, told us where we can find them routinely. And so, and that came about because we had built trust.
2: Yeah. You
1: know, we didn't go down and we didn't condemn them. So, you know, it, that that is a model. And you, you are so spot on because no matter where you go,
2: yeah.
1: every municipality basically treats it in the same way. You know, folks, you know, it makes them uncomfortable when you see somebody on the street. And, 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 you, and you know
0: why? They're afraid that it could be them. That's why. Exactly.
1: Yeah. That's exactly. My mama used to tell me all the time, son, there but the grace of God go I. And we, there are no two people that we meet with. And we, we minister to about 50 people every Tuesday night. And, and that's just scratching the surface Without the real number that's out there. Um, but there are no two people out there out there for the same reasons yeah a lot of addiction issues there's a lot of uh, financial issues we've got this one lady her son is a is in a wheelchair um a full-blown quadriplegic. don't know what happened to him uh if he had been that way his whole life but basically she went bankrupt and she lost and trying to take care of her son her husband left because he couldn't take the pressure. And so here's this mother out on the streets, homeless, with a son who looked to be early teens, um, in a wheelchair. You know, this is our society. Yeah. And this is a condemnation on our society. In the greatest country on earth, this should not be
2: happening.
1: Yeah. And, and, and you say, you know, you know, the common response is, oh, well, we've got Salvation Army and Around here, we've got Miracle Hill, and we've got United Ministries, and we've it got a number of it. it doesn't touch it. Oh, it doesn't touch it. And, and we, yes, we do have those, and yes, they do a wonderful work, but they're all maxed out. They are maxed out, and there's just a whole huge number of folks. And so that's where the Transition Center comes back in, because... You, hear, you constantly hear about people in and out, in and out of rehab. And then you hear about guys getting out of prison and very shortly they're right back in jail because there's nothing to catch them. There's nothing to you know, redirect them, to retrain them. Yeah, to I mean,
0: inter- the core this. issue that we talked about, they're not addressing
1: the core issue. They're not addressing core issues. And so if we can develop transition centers, that basically catch them, help them get back into a productive life, break that cycle of going back to the old ways, what happens is we begin to clear out the backlog. We begin to put the agencies that are out there doing a good work into a more functioning position to where they can help the current need in front of us because the others have been processed out. I'm sorry, that was my, my.
0: I jumped. I mean, if anybody watching me and you saw me jump, that was it. There was a noise and I went like,
1: <laughs> That was my tablet telling me that an email or something just came in. Um, I need to cut that thing off. Um, Thank you. So, <laughs> Unless yeah, you want
0: to uh, watch me jump again. I mean, I, I don't want to deprive you.
1: Well, at least I know you're awake now. Uh, um I'm awake. Yeah. So, and and it all ties together, you know. And again, here's the point in time when a lot of people will look at me and say, Mark, wow, you got a lot of things going on. And it's like, No, I've I've got a wonderful support group around me, a wonderful team of folks that that help me. And and as we've marched along this path, you know, more and more people have have joined. And so backing up to you know who do we help and how do we help well we we help the client who buys one of our homes or eventually will buy one of our tiny homes or who comes to a seminar at the, the experiential center because chances are you know one of the graduates of the transition center is going to be one of the folks manufacturing that tiny home
2: they're yeah. going to be
1: the folks that are going to be the I call it my quarterback, my farm manager in the community, because we have to develop, for each community, we have to develop a farm manager, somebody who will coordinate all the activities. Uh, We have to develop a maintenance manager, somebody that will be taking care of the energy equipment. Um, We have to train people to install solar. We have to train people to grow organically. We have to uh, train people uh, to have good culinary skills so that they can work in our farm market, and our kitchen there. Um, You know, we waste so much in this country, and it's just absolutely unconscionable. So what we're trying to become is, uh, and I describe this as, I've got seven business units, but I have also have got a whole list of consortium members, uh, like-minded businesses that we're all joining together to accomplish the vision. Um, so what I describe RSL as trying to become is the platform from which many people can get on to accomplish the mission. So I'm just simply building the platform. Um,
0: One of the things I've been thinking so much is that with everything going on in the pockets and places where things are just falling apart in this, in this country, but other countries too, it's not just us, that the more we bring people together there and these huge numbers of people who have a consciousness who want to make a difference so what you're doing and bringing together is something it's been a dream of mine forever to do that so that these people begin dialoguing and begin um, incubating ideas and extending their ideas out more than they even thought because they're coming across somebody else who just says this thing and that thing. And it's like, it explodes for them. So this is perfect. Absolutely perfect.
1: Yeah. You know, I can't, and you're, you're spot on Diane. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times on a Tuesday night, somebody will happen to hear about us, want to come help and they'll call me and they'll say, Mark, you know, we'd love to be involved with something like this. What do we do? How do we do it? And, and I said, well, just come join us on Tuesday night, kind of hang out with us, see what we do, and, and just, you know, take it from there. And I, when we go out on Tuesday nights, we've got no less than probably seven to ten people that kind of are on my side of the equation nice. um, that are there to support. And what it does, it, even if they don't say a word, it demonstrates to our homeless friends yeah. And by the way, I don't often refer to them as homeless friends. We call our, our street ministry the Tuesday night friends. Um, it, it demonstrates to them that there are people who care. And, and what the average person doesn't fully realize is that when you fall fallen that low and, you, and you've got a, a police record, you don't have an ID, you don't have an address, you, know, you don't have transportation, guess what? You ain't getting a job. Because nowadays, you've got to have at least an address to get a job.
2: Sure.
1: And that's why a lot of the, the relief agencies will allow certain folks that they admit into their program, like Salvation Army, to use their address to get the job.
2: Cool.
1: But then, you know, if the job is outside the bus path where the city bus is run, guess what? Now you're challenged with transportation. So I should put
0: you together that somebody who pitched at one of my events, I had pitch events for entrepreneurs and what Mm -hmm. she was doing, it was um, share a ride kind of thing. I should put her together with you. Um, Yes. Maybe you can figure out something to launch her even more, but what she, what her thing was um, for people who work like at a, Boeing or something like that. They, they're driving that way anyway, and if they could take somebody with them who needed a job but didn't have transportation, and it was on the path, they could share a ride. So, yeah, I'll put you together with her too. So.
1: That would be wonderful because uh, what we've been able to do, we have two houses in Greer that basically is our ministry office, if yes. you would, and we've got five people who live there. Well, We've been able to, we've had, this has been wonderful. We had an elderly couple that just had to move into an assisted living facility. Yeah. Well, they donated their minivan to us. So about two months ago, they gave us a 2004 Toyota Sienna minivan. Like brand new. I mean, so now one of the folks think in one of the houses that we have in Greer has the transportation. So he's constantly taking people to meetings and to doctor's appointments and that sort of thing as part of his giving back, you know, to the ministry. And so, and next Saturday, I'm going to pick up a fifth wheel RV that this other couple is donating to us. And one of the couples who live in the house, one of our houses in Greer, are going to take that RV uh, sometime in April, and we're kicking them out of the nest. So they're going to take the RV and move into the RV sometime in April. Um, It's been really cool to see the outpouring because we have so many people. Basically, the right hand doesn't know what the left is doing. And (laughs) we have a number of good-hearted people that want to do something. They just don't know where to start and so
0: I ask you one question here it's been popping up over and over and over again so sorry to interrupt no worries. what is it that you have learned from this what does it give to you because something like this when we give a lot we get a lot back so what is it that all of this has given to you that I'm thinking of the ministry right now what is mm-hmm. that given to you
1: well, you know, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Those are
0: words. So what what is the visceral thing? Because I want people to understand that they're not being suckers when they give, that it's a good thing to give, you know?
1: Yep, that's, that's a very good point. Um, and where I was going with that other was that I, I am so blessed that, you know, I have such a – when I finish my day, and it's usually about 10 o'clock at night on Tuesdays, um, I, I am drained because it, you know, it drains you of a lot. Even though you may not physically be doing a lot, it yeah. drains you. Sure. Um, but I have such a wonderful peace and calm that I've done my part. But there there are, you know, the pleasure that comes from knowing that you've really, truly helped change a life. Um, I, I can't put a price tag on that. I can't put a value to that. Um, but that that's probably the best way I can describe what I get from it. What um, have you learned? What have you
0: learned? Because there are lessons in it for you too. What have uh, you learned? Yeah.
1: Good, good point. I'm totally got that. I'm sorry. I, had, oh, it's I
0: had, <laughs> That's my job. My job is to go. <laughs>
1: I, had, I had an age moment there. Um, <laughs> um, what we've learned is tremendous amounts. Um, first of all, my, my suggestion, I really, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody, but when you see somebody on the side of the road and that's holding that 4 pitiful little sign, you know, they, they're only looking for money to go to the drug dealer or to the liquor store. That's where that cash goes, uh, really. It really does. Uh, and I'd, I'd be willing to bet the farm that 90-plus percent of the folks that are standing there, they're basically just panhandling to get cash to feed their addiction, uh, that's probably lesson number one. So we've developed, over the years, three simple rules. We don't give them cash, we don't give them rides in our car, and we don't let them use our cell phones. And, you you know, the the third one, the cell phone thing, was kind of like, what does that mean? Well, I used to do it liberally, you know, because, you know, they'd say, well, I need to call so-and-so, I need to call so-and-so until the day that I got a call from the Greenville police wanting to know why my number was wound up in a known drug dealer's phone. Uh, so, not good. You know, yeah, not good. So that's the lesson we learned there. Um, what have
0: you learned about yourself? Did you learn anything about yourself and who you are and, and life and the world?
1: I, I, I have to say, Diane, that you know, it's been a realization of uh, probably 50 plus years that I've known, you know, that I was supposed to be doing something on this scale. Okay. Uh, but what God was really doing was taking me along various places to educate me. Because when this whole vision started, the the word that I got was is that it's going to take the sum total of every experience you've ever had to be able to accomplish this mission. And so far, that's been the case. So I learned, you know, the, the beauty of what I've learned about me is that, oh, okay, that's why I spent 12 years in the restaurant business. Oh, that's why I spent five years working with the automotive industry. Oh, that's why I had to go through this and to do this. And so it, it's, it's a wonderful thing um yeah i just turned 60 uh last month and it it's a very nice thing to be able to look back and really understand why you went through what you went through yeah um, because i'm I'm a big believer that no experience is wasted if you if you learn from it now if you don't learn from it and you continue to
0: you'll do it again
1: <laughs> you know, you're truly insane because that's that's what Einstein said <laughs> The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, because um, it ain't gonna happen. Um, so if you want a different tomorrow, you gotta do something different today. And um, and so I've got my fifth grandbaby on the way; that'll be here in May.
2: Congrats. And
1: and you know, and I sent you my biopic. Uh, that's my four grandbabies that I have now. Um, and and I cherish no role more than Papa Mark, um, and I just melt when my granddaughters uh, come running up to me and say, Papa Mark, you got chocolate ice cream. <laughs> 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 of course, you know Papa Mark. I'm
0: an easy Mark, no pun intended.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, they they can ask me whatever they want, and I'll I'll bend over backwards to make it happen. I'm sure. Uh, but you no. Know, I've reached a stage in my life where I've been blessed and I've been put in this, this role, but I like to refer to myself sometimes as a dot connector. Uh, cause I have people come into my life. Um, and I kind of understand why did this person cross my path? Yeah. You know, am I supposed to do something? Um, right. real good case in point. Uh, my partner, who's my builder, Pete Broggett, um, and I visited with a an awesome, awesome young man, and I and I wholeheartedly suggest that you interview him in the future. Oh, good. Uh, Let me know. Fun. He's a 35 year old young man who has been developing um what's called the treehouse international uh, concept. Um, he's basically a permaculturist. Uh, and permaculture means permanent agriculture basically taking native species and all kinds of sorts of things. But he is totally all about what we're about, renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, recycling, repurposing, if you would. Um, And this little man is 10 years into his business model. um, And he's got a lot of good things going on. And after spending about five hours with him on, wednesday um we've decided that there's a lot of things that we have good synergy between us and so we've kind of come along at a point in time to where he can help us and by the way with the net zero farm community yeah he's going to become (laughs) permaculture design person he's going to help us design the ecology in the center of the net zero farm communities so that when we go to the next community, we can take the existing landscape and incorporate native species and the native environment and not be invasive. Yeah. Not be a traditional developer where we come in, buy a piece of property and uh, rape the land, cut every tree down and then build it back up. Um, We want to work within the environment as it is um and that so heals the
0: planet too i mean you're also healing the planet at that point because it needs its native stuff that's there for a reason and the whole ecology the animals and everything are around that the bees all of that stuff
1: yeah. that's a big amen. that's a big amen so um I, i'll get you scott's uh information but his name's yep. scott Hunt. um he uh has got a treehouse uh complex and he's actually got a really cool um, house that he built, and he, he does Airbnb. Uh, so let me give a big plug for that. Uh, it's Treehouse International. Um, and I think .com is the, the website. Uh, but he's got a number of places. And this is on Lake Hartford, so it's a beautiful environment. Um, and he's got a treehouse attached to the upper level of the house he's built. It's, got, it's like a big bed breakfast inn um and it's just a really cool thing
2: so yeah Um wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. i'm so, trying to help
1: as much as i can
0: i'm sorry so what do you want us to take away from our conversation with you what what are the things you want people to take into their hearts from what you've been talking about
1: i always ask this question if you were gonna eat an elephant how would you eat it? <laughs> one at a time time. and what we're doing is one bite at a time we're 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 doing a little bit here a little bit here a little bit here and by the time you get enough little bits together it's a lot and so so we need all hands on deck the world over to be conscious that you know we can't continue to pump CO2 into the atmosphere and expect climate to change. Um, case in point, I live in the upper, upper part of South Carolina, and our area normally gets about 42 inches of rain in a year. Oh. We had 145 inches That's last amazing. year. Yeah, yeah. 140. And it's because the weather patterns have totally shifted um and people you know who don't believe in climate change you know they don't understand first of all what climate means climate is basically a a compilation if you would of weather data points it takes like from 1850 to 2018 and compares day by day what the temperatures are what the weather patterns are and and That's how we've arrived at climate change. That's why you know it's undeniable that the number of and frequency of storms on the coastal areas has increased. Uh, It's undeniable that cities are now planning. You know, if it's not real, why are they planning for water levels to rise? Why you know the encroachment on beaches you know is increasing. If it's not real. Then why are why is the city of New York making all the plans that they're making? Why is Boston making the plans they're making? Yeah. You
0: know? And Rhode you Island know. had to redo their coastline. They Absolutely. Remap it, because and it's called the Ocean State because we're surrounded. By, I'm from there. We're yeah. surrounded by water. They had to remap it because of the encroaching ocean.
1: That's right. And so it's real. So everything we're doing is a little bit that impacts, hopefully, climate change and the environment. Because I want, when my fifth grandbaby in 2079 is my age today, I want the world to be inhabitable. I want there to be food production. I want there to be quality of life that we enjoy. And... Unless we start doing something now, odds aren't real good. Absolutely, absolutely,
0: Mark. This has been wonderful. It's been inspiring, enlightening. Um, inner. Uh, it's just been fabulous, and I thank you so much for sharing all this with people. And I know that you've inspired people. And uh, when this gets put up, your contact information will be there. Is that okay? So people can say, "I want to help." That would yes. Be- okay good and thank you again this has just been so lovely so um you and i will talk some more um sounds good share some information so thank you again for taking all this time because i know how busy you are so i appreciate it
1: pleasure's all mine thank you again diane
0: okay good i'll wait for the next time when i get to talk to you take care mark thank you dear so Thank you all, all of you who have um, joined us today and heard all this wonderful stuff that Mark has to say, and I'm trying to figure out how to do this. Um, uh, Bye bye. (laughs) Here you go. Okay, here we go back. And I want to thank you for joining us on the journey with Mark today and all of the wonderful things that he's doing. And I hope that you can see that you have something to contribute to, that there is some piece that you can contribute to the world to make it a better, kinder, gentler, um, more humane culture and society for everybody. And as Mark talked about, for the future. And he's just demonstrating what's possible, and it's possible for for everybody. We don't have to do it at that scale. You do it at the level at which you can. So thank you. And remember, by working together, we can change the world, and we are changing the world, and we will continue to change the world, and you're a part of that. So thank you for joining us on Holistic Transformations, and today we're brought to you by Turn Your Great Idea into Dollars, a seven-week online course and workbook taking you step-by-step from concept to a working business based on the business model that fits for you. I'm your host, Diane J. Shaver, inviting you to join us the next time to meet and be inspired by another person who's out there and doing what is in their heart to do to make this a better world. And I hope, again, that they inspire you. And I will see you next time. Bye-bye. For more wonderful shows like this, please go to selfdiscoveryradio.com, podcasts, and see our lineup. And if you wish to support us, we have a funded button. Please stay tuned for our next show.